Welcome to the Live, Ride, Learn podcast. This is your host, Sarah Hickner, and today we will be reading chapter six from Finding Gideon. But first, I have a very exciting announcement. So as many of you know, if you've been following the show back last spring, I guess it's been almost a year now, I brought home an off-the-track thoroughbred named The Dawn of Squan. <laughs> really like that's his racing name and we call him Danny and he is the sweetest most handsome very tall for me at least horse Um, and I've had so much fun working with him I thought he was going to sell over the summer he was my quote summer project and I was just dipping my toe getting back into working with horses off the track and I thought (laughs) I could make some quick money while the market was hot, which is very funny because like nothing ever works out how you expect, right? So anyway, I didn't make quick money. I still have Danny, but you know what? The thing is now that Silas is gone, um, you know, he's, Danny was already a gift, but now he feels even more of a gift because, you know, as I have grappled with saying goodbye to Silas, I've had another horse to distract me, honestly, and just to give me something else to be excited about and to look forward to. And so speaking of being excited and looking forward to something, there is this competition that they they started this program, I'm guessing about 10 years ago, called the Thoroughbred Makeover. And I have been wanting to do it for so long. And the Thoroughbred Makeover is a competition just for thoroughbreds who have been off the track in the last year and a half. So they have to have raced within the last, I believe it's year and a half from the date of the competition. There's like official dates for it all. Um, But anyway, Danny meets the time requirement for that. And I applied, you have to actually apply and be accepted to be a trainer. And so I sent in an application a couple months ago and it was accepted. So Danny and I are aiming to compete at the Thoroughbred Makeover Challenge in Lexington, can't talk, Lexington, Kentucky in October. And I am so excited. Um, There are several different divisions you can choose from. I still don't even really know what we're going to compete in. He's still just learning to jump. He jumps so well out in the field when we're just like trail riding. And then the ring, he's like, I don't know about this, guys. (laughs) So he's still figuring it out. So I don't know what we're going to compete in, but I'm really excited um, just to have a goal and have something to work towards. Silas had health issues for a really long time and I wasn't able to show. And so it's really fun to have something to look forward to and to know that we'll be able to compete. And I also learned a lot about expectations with Silas and about holding my expectations with an open hand. And so I think it's paying off with Danny because I know, you know, things happen with horses, but prayerfully, hopefully he'll stay healthy and we'll be able to show at the Thoroughbred Makeover in October. And if you live in or around Lexington, Kentucky, come out and cheer for us. I'm also planning to have a book table there because Finding Gideon will be out. And so I'm planning to be there signing some books. And anyway, it's going to be a big old party. So excited. So come cheer for us. Um, And I'll also be posting updates on the training on my blog, which is uh, liveridelearn.com, as well as updates on Instagram. So be sure to follow if you want to. I'm I'm trying to give a very real life portrait of what it looks like to train a horse off the track. You know, it's not perfect, but it is fun. Um, 
And I will say, since I don't have my own camera crew, we don't always get the, the bad moments because I don't have a camera crew following me around. But it's mostly all good anyway because he's such a doll. Um, anyway, okay, so before we get going into Chapter 6 of Finding Gideon, I just want to remind y'all that Live, Ride, Learn is brought to you by Streamhorse TV. If you haven't checked out streamhorse.tv, you have got to do it, y'all. They have so many digital live streams of horse shows, horse contests, all kinds of stuff. Then they also have, did I just say horse contests? <laughs> anyway, competitions, horse competitions. Um, but then they also have, like on their YouTube channel, they have tons of fantastic shows, videos of clinics, just a plethora of information from old stuff to new stuff, but all incredible and useful. You could spend days, more than days, just soaking it all in. It is such good stuff. So be sure to go check out streamhorse.tv. That's their website or on, it's also their YouTube channel and they're on Instagram. They're everywhere you look. So be sure to check them out y'all. All right. So I'm about to get started on chapter six of Finding Gideon. If you are behind, this is your chance to pause and go to the last episode or the one before, whatever you need to go to to catch up because I do have chapters one through five already up on the podcast. So go to wherever you like to listen to podcast and check out whichever chapter you've missed because this is your chance. And now we're going to get started with chapter six. Chapter six. Names and faces looped through my mind and I long to be cruising down the highway with my friend Chip, the road, our stage, as we sang every song on my favorite Broadway soundtrack. I imagined bobbing up and down in the water at Lake Bruin with Lauren in the driver's seat of her family boat as she pushed the accelerator and lifted me up onto the wakeboard. Or maybe sitting on Gideon at Winterview Farm under the hot Mississippi sun, practicing jumps. I'd like to be anywhere, really, aside from where I was. A demanding bladder pulled me from my daydreams to the reality of cords and machines and the realization I hadn't used the bathroom since I left my apartment at around 6 a.m. The ER felt sleepy. The staff's faces, which were once alive and vibrant, were more creased and their steps dragged. It was two in the afternoon. Nap time, coffee time. Simple sounds became offensive. Shuffling feet, muffled voices, papers, and machine beeps. The hub of activity forgot about my existence again. I reached up to brush the hair out of my face, and my fingers grazed crusty dirt. People hustled past my door. Excuse me, I called, earning a side glance before the person hurried off. Excuse me, I tried again a little louder, but my urgency just melted into the atmosphere of the place. Hello! Some eyes glanced up before instantly dismissing me to the not-my-problem category. My bladder demanded relief while cords connecting me to machines held me in place. I did the only thing I knew to do and started peeling stickers off my skin. A machine to my left screamed and two nurses dove through the door. Whoa, 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 you can't just unplug yourself, the one in front exclaimed. Watch me, I thought as I nailed her with a look, challenging her to stop me and pulled another white sticker off my skin. I've been here for hours and I need to pee. I seethed, continuing to pull at wires. There was so much more I wasn't saying, but the bore of a lady who rushed into my room shifted, joining my fight for freedom as she helped disconnect me. I stood from the bed, turning to see small piles of dirt between the wrinkles in the sheets. Lifting my chin, I limped along, followed by the nurse, wheeling an ivy bag and guiding me to the small bathroom. My mouth felt like it belonged to a monster, and as I swung the door to the bathroom open, I realized I'd have to look in the mirror. 
My stomach twisted, and I considered foregoing the whole thing and just not peeing. The throb of my bladder stole that choice. I vowed to keep my eyes down as I shuffled through the door with the IV bag. I'll wait out here, the nurse said. Okay, thanks. I kept my eyes trained on the doorknob while closing the door. Then I backed up to the toilet, and as I tried to maneuver my sore body into position to relieve myself, my treacherous eyes swept over and up before I could stop them. There I was. Clean lines connected the outside corners of my eyes to the tops of my ears. I realized they were tear tracks. The rest of my face was several shades darker than my barely tanned summer complexion. Brown patches looked almost like a beard trying to grow in. I reached up and touched one of them, and dirt fell into my lap. God, they let me lay here for hours looking like this. They walked by that open doorway, glancing in, removed me from the board, and attached me to machines without even a thought of letting me wipe my face off. It seemed like such a simple, essential piece of humanity. A clean face. God... Please help me through this. Help me not to hate them. I finished my business and washed my hands. The soap and water turned brown before swirling down the drain. Then I grabbed two paper towels, folded them into a little rectangle, and ran them under the water to clean my face. Ma'am, are you okay? I heard through the door. Yeah, I'm just... What was I doing? Cleaning myself? Surveying the damage? Facing reality? Yeah, I'm coming... I tried to wipe the rust-looking spot on the side of my mouth. The metal smell of blood had clung to me for hours. My new perfume. The top two front teeth tapered to sharp points and were twisted. A toothless gap extended on the right to a premolar pointing more towards the inside of my mouth than down. One tooth on the bottom broke off at the root. I felt the roof of my mouth with my tongue. It was the one thing I had felt all day. The right side felt bigger, like somehow that bone had been pushed in or down. I stared, realizing I could clearly see where the hoof made contact. Huge welts on my top and bottom lip lined up to tell the story. It was disgusting and painful, but I looked up an inch from the hoof marks. If he had hit my nose or a couple of inches higher on my head, where would I be? Okay, God, thank you, I prayed, gritting my teeth at him in my mind. Now can you get me fixed up so we can get over this? I'm done, I mumbled to the nurse, who opened the door and helped me back to paradise. Fresh sheets and kind smiles greeted me upon return, and I breathed a little easier. Another hour passed, an hour more in line with my initial expectation, where people actually checked on me and seemed to care. A dentist in residency showed up. A thin woman with boy-short blonde hair, and I remember the time in ninth grade when I tried a similar haircut. It looked much better on this chick, and on my initial inspiration, Meg Ryan, than it ever looked on me. The lady grabbed dental tools and asked me to lie back so she could peer into my mouth. Sitting on a stool, she leaned over with a headlamp shining into my face. I squinted my eyes and opened my mouth. She stared for a moment before moving the instruments around, seeming unsure of what to actually do with them. Then she sat up and stared at the wall, taking deep breaths. Well, this is interesting, I thought as she hovered over me again, waving the instruments around. She sat up and stared at the floor. My tooth's in that cup, I said as I gestured toward the little side table. We only found one of them. I was no expert, but it looked like more were missing. Okay, 
I noticed her skin seemed lighter than when she arrived. I peered into her face, finding it incredibly intriguing and a bit unnerving that I was the one to cause such a reaction in this sharp-looking lady. It would have been funny in nearly any other situation. She shakily declared she needed to call a specialist, wrapped up her tools, and fled the room. I had ripped cords from my body, earned the respect of some tough nurses, and scared off an intern. I felt brave, so I ignored the no cell phone signs and responded to all the text messages while I waited on this specialist. A nurse strode in and my bravery wilted as I scrambled to hide the phone behind my leg. Don't worry about it, she chuckled. I've brought someone to see you. Macy, my roommate, followed her into my little home for the day, brandishing a bag. Her pasted-on smile was as fake as Dolly Parton's breath, but I appreciated her effort. Her eyes darted around before finally laser-beaming them to my own, an obvious attempt at avoiding looking at my mouth. I walked Sandy for you and brought you some clothes. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been a long day. How's Sandy? She seems good, Macy replied with a softer tone than normal. I think she misses you. How could she know my dog misses me, I wondered. But maybe it was true. I definitely miss Sandy. I'm going to Bob's tonight, but I'll be home around 10 or 11. Do you have a way to get back to the apartment? Yeah, Craig said he'd pick me up and give me a ride home. I hated being a burden to Macy, and Craig seemed like he wanted to pick me up. I figured he'd want to lay eyes on me and make sure I really was okay. Okay, well, see you later tonight, she said as she ducked out of the room. Bye, thanks so much, I called after her as I grabbed my phone to check my messages. Craig was asking when I thought I'd be done and telling me he'd come in a couple of hours. Waiting for a specialist. That should work. Thank you, I sent back. I shot Mom a quick message to let her know I was doing okay and texted my riding friend Lauren. She had told me racehorses were dangerous and not like the show horses we were used to. Yep, I thought as I updated her on my injured status, grateful for her kind withholding of all the I told you so she could be saying. Last, I texted my boyfriend Joey. He was on the road to his final beach trip with his friends before moving an hour and a half south of Louisville to start grad school. My two nurses took turns checking in, fluffing my pillow, and offering to get me things. The idea of eating or drinking terrified me, so I politely declined. A few hours after the resident bailed, the specialist showed up. He ordered more x-rays, and they wheeled me back. I considered telling them I could walk. It seemed ridiculous for me to ride when my legs worked fine, but this seemed like protocol. Plus, it was kind of fun after being stuck in that cloth box for so long. I stared at the walls, down halls, and tried not to gawk at other patients as I rode by. Back in my cloth prison, the dentist studied the x-rays for a few seconds. There may be a bone chip in your lip, he informed me with a heavy accent. I'll need to lance that lip. I had a horse once who had a wound on her face that refused to heal. When the vet flushed it, we found out why. Bone chips were floating around. Imagining Dixie's gnarly face that wouldn't close up until all the fragments were out, I gave a simple reply. Okay. He reclined the bed and scooted up next to my head. He was a man of few words, but carried a confidence that demanded the rest of us shut up and let him work. After a quick shot of numbing medicine into the wound, he took a scalpel and lanced my lip open. He squeezed on it to push the possible tooth fragments out, but all I saw was the stream of blood coming from my face. No bone chip, he declared casually. I think I'd like to punch him, I thought, as he moved to the next order of business, as if he hadn't just ruined my lip and left a gaping wound. I'm going to glue this bar onto your front teeth. This one is stable, but the other is not. The bar will help anchor the unstable one for now. I stared at the ceiling in response, with my mouth open and instruments moving in and out of it. Am I supposed to respond? It can't be any worse than braces, right? 
the part of my brain that believed unicorns are real, and if I had to, I could be like Julie of Julie of the Wolves and live safely with a pack of wild animals, wondered when they were going to wheel me into surgery and fix my face. He sat up and broke the silence in his abrupt tone. That's all I can do for now. You will need to wait two weeks for things to heal, and then you can come back to the dental school. Uh, what? Two weeks? I'm supposed to stay like this? Isn't there surgery or something you can do to fix this? It was a desperate plea. No, two weeks. We can't do anything until your mouth heals from all the teeth moving around. Are you freaking kidding me? I wanted to scream, cry, or if this was true, stick my head in a hole like an ostrich until it was over. But I was also exhausted with this place and ready to go back to the apartment and to Sandy. I recalled the words of Scarlett O'Hara, whose book I never actually finished. I'll think about it tomorrow. And then I excused myself to the bathroom. Walking into the small stainless steel space, I flipped on the light. Glancing up, my eyes caught my reflection in the mirror. I looked like I had somersaulted with a thousand-pound animal. My ponytail hung limp to the side and lines spread from the inner corners of my eyes to the middle of my cheek. I couldn't feel my lip and was afraid to move my mouth for fear of catching it on the point of one of my teeth and wounding it more. I hope Red's okay. God, can you take care of Red? I leaned forward, studying this dentist's handiwork in the mirror. This wasn't braces with thin wires and colorful clean brackets. It was a metal bar. Maybe they had cut a half inch off a nail somewhere? Surely this wasn't a typical dental thing. The glue was tobacco spit brown. I looked like every kid's a nightmare when their mom tells them to brush their teeth or they'll rot out. God, what is this? I seethed. Did the dentist rummage through his toolbox in his car and just grab scrap metal and gorilla glue? My lip was huge and felt like a rubber tire protruding from my face. What the heck, dentist guy, I thought, shaking my head. Is this even real? I considered pinching myself to make sure, but my body had enough trauma for the day. I'll think about it tomorrow, and maybe I can complete my crazy new look with a dress made out of curtains. The ones from the ER would work perfectly. You're free to go whenever your ride gets here, my nurse said with a smile as I limped back into the room. Can I get you anything while you wait? I'm fine, thank you. My friend said he'd be here soon. Actually, Craig said he'd be here at three, which had come and gone a while ago, but my ride choices were slim. I shot him a quick, hey, they said I can go, where are you, text. I needed to update my mom and Joey, but exhaustion pulled me back onto the sterile white sheets. I stared into the fabric hanging from the ceiling until it looked like millions of little particles weaving around each other. Then I eavesdropped on the nurse's station, and when that grew boring, I closed my eyes in an attempt to close out the world in reality. Eventually, Craig arrived. His smiling eyes and devilish grin washed away the top layers of desperation. I'd guess Craig was double my age, but he felt like a high school kid playing guardian to my barely adult self. We filled out paperwork and got my prescriptions and discharge notes. God pushed the dimmer switch on daylight as we walked into the parking lot. Craig asked about food. I don't know, I replied. I'm sure I need to eat something. I haven't eaten all day. But... I don't know what I can get down, or if I even want to. He bought me a milkshake and some carryout food that sat in a white styrofoam container on my lap. While he ran into Walgreens to get my prescription filled, I called my parents and Joey so they could hear my voice and know that I really was alive. Man, Joey said when he answered the phone. Man, I'm so sorry. We're so sorry. As he apologized over something he had no control over, the petty satisfaction for putting a damper on his boy's trip fizzled out. 
I had wanted him in Kentucky instead of the beach, with me instead of his guy friends. I could see the insecurity and jealousy for what it was, immaturity, and I couldn't hang on to that if I wanted to survive. So I let it go, and it drifted out the car window. Thanks, I muttered, struggling to talk. Craig emerged from Walgreens, bag in hand. Hey, Craig's coming back. I gotta go. Okay, love you. We're all praying for you. The voices of his friends came through the phone. Love you too. I'll call you tomorrow. Bye. I finished the conversation but waited for him to end the call before snapping the phone closed. I tried to drink my milkshake since there was no audience to see me spit it all over myself. I debated over the spoon but was afraid it would bump my teeth. What if the milkshake hurt? What if it caused an infection? What if drinking from a straw would cause issues like it did when you got wisdom teeth out? But eventually, I realized I didn't have many choices. I put the straw on the left side of my mouth, which was practically damage-free, and tried to ingest some calories as Craig got into the car. My mind drifted to the tables in the cafeteria at Mississippi College, some long and slim and some round and all containing friends, smiling, laughing, hugging, stressing over tests, gushing over parties. I felt life there move on without me, as tangibly as I felt the bar on my broken, pointed teeth. I was ready to get back to my apartment and lay in my own bed with Sandy's warm back pressed up against me. Craig helped me up to the third floor of my apartment, the wood floors groaning and squeaking beneath us. He walked Sandy for me and then left. My prayers had been significantly simplified. God? God? A plea? A statement? A name? It was all I had. Depleted, I crawled into bed. Sandy nosed her way under the covers and turned so the entire length of her silky, lean body was pressed against me. Facing the wall with one hand under my pillow and the other wrapped around my dog, I drifted into the darkness that had been calling to me all day. That's a wrap. Nothing like ending on a depressing note. <laughs> so uh, be sure to harass me if you're excited for chapter seven, where we're going to get a little more excited, a little more positive. I'm pretty sure. I can't even remember. I've looked at so many chapters so many times. I honestly don't remember what happens next, but I can promise you it's incredible. <laughs> um, anyway, if you missed it, the Kickstar fun... <laughs> Y'all can't talk. The Kickstarter fully funded. Thank you so much to everyone who supported that. It was the coolest thing. I just felt so loved. Like I can't, it's the craziest. I felt so loved and supported. Y'all writing a book is such a lonely endeavor. And it has, I mean, it's been really cool because it has felt like me and God and that's it. And so it's been just a really cool experience. But then to add the Kickstarter of all these people coming together and saying, I believe in what you're doing was like the cherry on top of a really cool experience. And the book's not even out yet. So anyway, um, thank you to everyone who supported it. We are in editing right now. Cover is being designed. And as soon as it is all done, I will be able to get books to the backers. So thank you so much. And uh, stay tuned. If you don't follow me on the blog or on my newsletter, be sure to go to liveridelearn.com and click on like if you sit there for five seconds, there'll be a pop up. You can join my newsletter and get a free short story, Three Horses and a Wedding. I might be changing that short story up soon. So be sure to snag it while it's available. Um, but anyway, thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to have grace for yourself and grace for others. Bye y'all.
blinded by she. Oh, so daring, Mr. Fly. 